Welcome to the Scandinavian Mind podcast. I'm Conrad Olson, founder and editor-in-chief of Scandinavian Mind. My guest today is David Orlik, co-founder and CEO of the Stockholm-based audio startup Anyone. Anyone is an invite-only app that enables experts to give advice through five-minute voice calls. The service is already getting international buzz, despite being launched just recently. As you all know, I'm super excited about the evolution of the audio space, and I think we will see so much innovation in the near future. I had a great time talking to David about this. In our conversation, we talk about why the time limit of five minutes is key to anyone's service, what Clubhouse means for the social media landscape, and why he thinks we will see more startups coming from creatives and communicators in the future. The Scandinavian Mind podcast is a bi-weekly show about the intersection of lifestyle and technology. Every Wednesday, we publish an in-depth interview with an innovator from the worlds of design, fashion, beauty, mobility, or tech. And every other Friday, we publish a panel talk or other behind-the-scenes content from the world of Scandinavian Mind. Don't forget to sign up to our newsletter to stay updated on the latest news and learn about upcoming talks and other events. Visit scandinavianmind.com newsletter. Here now, my conversation with David Orlik. Enjoy. Okay, so I'm here with David Orlik, co-founder and CEO of the new audio app Anyone. Um, that I'm not sure everyone knows about this. Uh, I certainly know uh, just a few things about it. Uh, we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about the future of audio, which I'm, you know, certainly super excited about. Um, but David, just, 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 I know you just mentioned before we 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 moved in here that you're doing hundred plus pitch meetings. So, so pitch the audience here. What what is anyone? Oh God, I I don't think I'll pitch the audience, but I will I will tell the story about you know how this came to be uh, because um, I think there's there's a bigger learning uh, than the app itself for all of us. So, mm. um, there's this really old story about Steve Jobs. Um, and I realize, you know, how banal it is to to come with a Steve Jobs story, but this one is is kind of special and close to my heart. So, Steve Jobs is twelve years old, and he calls up Bill Hewlett, uh, then president and co-founder of Hewlett Packard, arguably, you know, one of the biggest tech companies in the valley. So he calls him up because his number is still in the phone book, right? And he asks him if he has some spare parts for a frequency counter. And and Bill Hewlett's obviously surprised to get a phone call from a 12-year-old, says, of course. Mm. So he gets him the spare parts, and he also gets him a summer job at Hewlett-Packard's factory uh, building frequency counters. And Steve Jobs usually tells this story, you know, as this, the moral being, you know, you have to ask. If you don't ask, you'll never get anything. But there's another moral of the story. Like, the moral of the story is that most of us aren't Steve Jobs, but most of us are Bill Hewlett. That is the point. Like, most of us don't call people out up out of the blue asking them for stuff because it's really awkward, mm. especially if we're 12 years old, right? But most of us, you know, when someone asks for help or asks for advice, we're more than happy to give it. What's missing is the phone book. And that is basically what we're trying to build with anyone. We're trying to build a way to connect with anyone in five-minute increments so that more can get further faster. So if you are someone with some kind of stature or someone who can give advice or that has an audience, you are basically the the uh, the the user of, of anyone, or maybe not the user. Who is the user, and who is the? It's kind of like a marketplace for voice, right? Yeah, I mean, if if you want to go into details, it's a two sided marketplace, right? right? So so we have a supply side and we have a demand side. We have people on the supply side that can give advice, and people on the demand side that you know want to ask for advice. But mm. in reality, there's so much side switching and overlap going on because you know most people 
can give advice on something. So mm-hmm. we'll have you know people coming on as advisors that start calling others for advice, and also vice versa, people coming in to call someone and then converting to advisors. Um, so speaking of who the user is, like let's look at how the infrastructure for this looks today. I mean, modern life is ruled by two institutions, one being the inbox and the other one being the calendar. Mm. And to get to Way get to hate objects, yeah, in life. I mean, yeah, there, there's definitely room for improvement, right? Yeah. So looking at you know that process today and user journey, you know most people that uh, are skillful and knowledgeable or something or have an experience in something end up getting a ton of cold emails and cold mm. DMs in all channels, people asking them for stuff, right? They get a lot of warm intros over email. And most often, they don't have the time to reply, right? Even though they'd like to, or they feel that they have to. And that's when, you know, the calendar ping pong kicks in, when you have to find the slot. Mm. And it's always a 30-minute slot, right? So finally, after a cold DM or a warm intro or a calendar booking, you manage to get an audience with someone and their time. And we are completely convinced that, you know, these are archaic behaviors and technologies that we can make 10 times smoother and easier while saving people tons of calendar space. So in short, we envision anyone as, you know, this link in bio type of infrastructure where you can just direct people there. Every time someone DMs you or emails you asking you for something quick, you can just say, you know, I'd love to help you out. My calendar is a mess. I'm on anyone. Here's a free voucher code. Call me when I'm online and I'm happy to help you out. And that is exactly what we're seeing, you know, our early users doing. Mm. So it's a really exciting use case to see that as a marketplace, it's not, you know, per definition about making extra money, even if I think that there's massive value in people's time. But it's really about giving back and finding a manageable way to give back. Yeah. There's something really interesting about voice here that I find so fascinating. And first of all, I, I agree with you. Uh, I think people ask, uh, uh, you know, to for advice, you know, too little, especially students. When I, I, and I'm sure you do lectures and stuff for students, and I speak to students. I'm like, reach out to the people you want to to you know get to know or work with, or you know, I, I, you know, I think people generally want to help, especially young people getting into whatever industry they are working in. So I think that's always good advice, and it seems like your your app could could help sort of enable that in 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 a better way. Uh, but what I find fascinating here is this, uh, you know, someone said recently that voice, this, this is our first medium of communication, right? It's before we wrote things, we, we used our voice and we, we still do. What, what is it that is so powerful about our voices, do you think? So I think intimacy is, is one thing. And, you know, to your point, it's uh, one of our oldest and and first means of communication i mean look at look at the web and look at you know what we envisioned and hoped for for the web when setting out and you know the ideals that were laid out and the promises that were made mm. i'd argue that you know a massive problem and reason you know behind the polarization and the the distance and the issues we're seeing with the web are connected to uh, the written word. The fact that, you know, when writing, uh, we distance ourselves uh, in time and in space. And it's really easy to misunderstand one another or come across as something we don't want to come across as. Um, Video, of course, has, you know, Give us, given us the illusion that we come closer to one another. But you know, in the in the research, looking you know at how Zoom calls affect us, we see that you know where where the written word distances us, distances us. Um, video calls kind of make us nauseous because it's the illusion of three D. Uh, packaged in 2D. So your brain goes into hyperdrive from all the visual information, plus you have this little mirror showing you yourself in the corner that makes you feel even more anxious and terrible. So, I mean, there's a reason why Zoom fatigue exists. There's tons of research coming out of, of institutions showing us that, you know, video calls are inherently bad for us. If you look at voice and audio, um, well, first of all, we practice the art of listening, right? Which is something that 
more of us should be doing in general. But secondly, just looking at the, the, the brain science of this and the, the neurological consequences is that when it's voice and audio, other parts of your brain are activated and your creative part of the brain is activated because you're limited you know, to what you can see. Uh, and I think that's a really key driver to why people feel exhausted after a video call but invigorated after a short and good voice call. And looking at, you know, voice apps, podcasts, all of these things that have been emerging, I think there's there's massive stickiness to that beyond, you know, the the fact that you can take part of it in a much easier way. So was this a conscious decision on your part? I'm sure you could have created this app as a video video as well, you know. Yeah, the whole team is completely obsessed with this shift we're seeing from screen to voice and audio. Mm. And we have been for years. I mean, Alfred, our co-founder, worked at Google for, for years and years and learned a lot about the conversational AI space and worked a lot on, on voice and audio as well. And we're all obsessed with this massive shift because, you know, we've been so stuck to our screens mm. that we kind of missed that they're attached to phones, and that, you know we're we're coming full circle and i think this shift from from screen to voice and audio is really the most exciting at least consumer facing shift in technology we're seeing this decade and it's going to unlock so much joy i believe when we when we leave you know the tyranny of the screen behind so but to back to my question was there a point where you considered video as well or do you see if you will this be a feature and i know you're just in the starting stages of, of this app will yeah stick no to voice uh, never never it was never it was never even a discussion that we would have video or text there was however so much pushback when we set out 18 months ago mm. from people telling us that we should be doing video instead like that that was i think the top the, the, the top feedback was, why aren't you doing video? You should definitely be doing video. It's too low tech. Right? Yeah, you should be doing video and offering audio. So that that's one feedback we got. Second feedback was, why is it only five minutes? It should be, you know, however long someone would like. Mm. So our feedback to that was, so you're basically suggesting that we should do an app where you can communicate via video, audio, or text for how little or how short as you like. <laughs> is that... Does that sound like a compelling value proposition to you? It feels like it already exists, right? Probably, yeah. So it wasn't... So here's the thing. We all have a creative background. And I think, you know, as a creative, uh, when you have a creative background, you don't start with a market or a technology. You start with a problem. You start with a ton of user insights. You pair that with a vision that's megalomaniacal. And then you just try to make your way from one to the other. And... I think all these conversations that have, you know, surrounded technology um, have been secondary to us. And all of the conversations discussing, you know, which market are you disrupting? Which market are you a part of? We don't have a clue of what market we're a part of because we are creating a completely new behavior. So we will let the users guide us to understand that. Mm. Okay, so you said, you know, a year and a half ago you had pushback, obviously just the last few months uh, with the rise of, you know, Clubhouse, these types of audio uh, services. I'm sure there was an article out sort of mentioning your startup in the same uh, uh, context as Clubhouse and and some of these uh, startups. How has that changed uh, uh, the, the interest around anyone? So I think definitely, you know, there's an audio boom mm. uh, and I think it's it's well deserved because there's just so much amazing things happening. So many brilliant entrepreneurs building genuinely exciting things. I think that, you know, the Clubhouse hype is about a ton of different things. Uh, first of all, it's about our fatigue with video and the fact that most social media networks bore us to death these days. And there's been, you know, a lack of innovation, which is quite overdue. And I think Clubhouse, combined with the pandemic and lockdowns, really tapped into that and created this cultural moment Mm. that we see every few years. And, you know, personally, I love Clubhouse. But at the end of the day, as a social network, you know, it's a broadcasting play. It's the illusion of intimacy. 
It's the illusion of having access to people just because you can hear them live. And they've built in scarcity in a great way. And again, I'm, I'm a big fan and a big user of the product. But two things with Clubhouse that I think, you know, where there's room for improvement from other players is one is it's, it takes a lot of time out of people's day mm. to, to be a part of that kind of network. Every conversation just drags on and on and on. So people aren't quite respectful of each other's time, if you know what I mean. Conversations just drag on, which is also nice. Secondly, I don't think they've really cracked one-to-one. It's still a one-to-many or a many-to-many uh, network, right. which, you know, if it's an analogy, you know, you'd like to use it. It's, it's, it's a seminar or a press conference or a conversation that you host. We think that there's massive opportunity in the one-to-one space because the scarcest resource on the planet is someone's undivided attention. Like, if you think of it, Mm. like, access is one thing. I mean, I can access people everywhere and anywhere on any social media channel. I can follow them, listen to them, see them. But it's really difficult to connect with them one-to-one if I have something I want to ask them. Like, even on Clubhouse, I'd argue it's really difficult to put your hand up in front of two or 300 people and ask a profound question and get a profound answer back. It just doesn't work that way. So, I mean, we're seeing a lot, lot of complementary qualities between uh, a platform like Anyone and Clubhouse where you know, people will build an audience on Clubhouse, uh, but they'll migrate to Anyone for one-to-ones. Oh, that's interesting. So... Um... I'm curious, do you see a Clubhouse, we've seen, you know, obviously this huge hype, we've been part of it, you know, I see you've been very active, uh, now we see, you know, Facebook, LinkedIn, all these other uh, uh, platforms are creating their own version of it, I, I just, just the other day, uh, Spotify bought... Um, locker Room. Locker Room, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, do you think Clubhouse, as a format, this kind of virtual audio town hall or whatever, is is it a feature? Is it is it something that's just going to be integrated in, in every platform? Uh, whereas anyone, not to make the comparison, yeah, well, skip the comparison for for a moment. Do you think Clubhouse is, is like a kind of like a feature uh, that anyone will have, uh, as opposed to this sort of unique platform that that uh, draws attention? Well, those are two questions, and and I think they're both super interesting and relevant. So regarding, you know, Clubhouse versus the other large social networks, I think that the if you're a large social network, you're also you're always going to just continue to add features, mm-hmm. regardless if it's LinkedIn adding stories all of a sudden or Twitter adding voice chats. I think it's natural when you've reached that point of your innovation curve that you just keep on adding features to uh, try to keep up. I think that there's definitely room for a horizontal social media network that is audio only. Mm. I definitely think that there there's room for that. And I think that, you know, Clubhouse has gone through a hype and I'm sure they'll come out of this trough of disillusionment that, that people are feeling right now and, and find really great applications for, for that particular platform. Um, in terms of one-to-one, I think you have to look at the business model and where the incentives lie. And a lot of social networks, again are about broadcasting and about being one-to-many. And the virality of such a platform is, you know, inherently different than a one-to-one app. A one-to-one app scales completely different if you, ju- if you can just access five minutes of someone's time at a time. So I think that, again, like there's a massive difference between broadcasting and and uh, really interacting with another human being. And I think that, you know, if you're doing voice and audio only, uh, it really sets you up to create amazing one-to-one experiences. Okay, so let's look at who, who are you hoping to serve? Who is the user of this platform? Which industries will, will benefit the most? That's the exciting thing about the five-minute cap, right? Mm. Like, it's, al- it's almost this Twitter-like... Uh, potential where you know we're gonna let creators lead us to see what we do and there's already people hacking the product and finding their own ways of using you know a five minute one-to-one voice chat in a new way so 
I think the honest answer is we don't have a clue. But what we're seeing is that, you know, in, in categories like business, for example, we have, you know, a record-breaking number of new businesses started in the last year. Some because people had to, because, you know, they, they lost their jobs or pivoted, or, and some because people have had some, some spare time on their hands and realized that, you know, this is what I want to do. So we have so many founders and, and you know, people that lead small businesses that have a ton of five-minute problems. Mm. Like a ton of five-minute problems. And there's really no dominant design out there on how to crack those small, quick issues you, you come across every day. So that's one thing we're solving for. So I'd say that business is, you know, a huge category for us. The second is career. And, you know, going back to your point about helping out young people, 25% of the workforce in North America and Europe are considering a career change post-pandemic. And I'm not talking about, you know, changing jobs or, or getting promoted. I'm talking about doing one thing and wanting to do something completely different. Mm. And the thing you need then, you know, when you're doing that transition is basically just talk to a lot of people and get their second opinion and ask them quick questions. So I'd say that ca career is another category on anyone that is growing really fast. And the cool thing about the career category is that most of us have some form of career, right? So that means that, you know, you can get advice from a lot of different people. Uh, and we have callers converting to advisors, advisors converting to callers again. So career is a really compelling and, and attractive uh, category to us because we have users that, you know, they, they, they lost their jobs during the pandemic. They came on to anyone as early users. They made nine calls on anyone and they landed a new job. They didn't land a new job on anyone, but they used anyone as a platform when applying for new jobs. And they understood, you know, how to repackage their professional backgrounds into a way which made them, you know, more relevant for specific roles. They could, you know, get some pep talk before interviews, uh, learn what to ask for in terms of salary and package, how to close the deal, start off, uh, you know, in the right way in their job. And going back to, you know, asking for help. I think, you know, the most powerful word uh, in the world is no. But the second most powerful is I don't know. Mm -hmm. And I think people use I don't know way too little. You know, going going back in history, like Socrates was, was considered, you know, the wisest man in Greece because he knew what he didn't know. And I think that, you know, a lot of us sitting out in our careers, we think that we have to know everything or at least pretend that we know everything when in fact we need to get better at asking for help and asking for advice. And that is something that I think, you know, anyone has the potential to, to lower the barriers for because it's just a five-minute call. Like, it's just a quick question. So career is something that, you know, we're really excited to see growing. But, but you know, beyond that, obviously, mental health is a big thing these days. So, so coaching, micro-mentoring, parenting, relationships, and, you know, all kinds of passions, I'd say. Gardening is a really exciting one. Um, but are you thinking about it in terms of sort of useful advice? Uh, do you think, will we see, um, I don't know, like Kanye, will he, you know, sell a five minute on anyone for a million dollars or something? I mean, he could and, he, and probably he would give it to charity, right? Mm. I mean, I think that it's important to have a value tied to a conversation because, again... Getting five minutes of someone's undivided attention mm. and getting someone's time is a really precious and valuable thing. And the fact that, you know, we live in an age where technology has decided that that should come in 30 or 60 minute increments, just because that is what calendars suggest, mm. I think creates a lot of a lot of waste in terms of how we spend our time together and also a lot of missed opportunities because people just don't have the time to commit to that. So... Talking about, you know, really super established top tier leaders, I think that they would like nothing more than to be able to connect with people and give back and ha hold some sort of office hour like format. Because that's, you know, what after a certain period and, and you know, time in your career, 
that is what provides the most meaning and purpose to you, right? Helping others succeed. And the problem today is that you just don't have enough time to, to you know, help out and give people that time. So I definitely envision, you know, people using a platform like anyone to hold office hours to be able to uh, to facilitate those interactions more better. Mm-hmm. And also, I think, you know, just going to career, it's easy to think about this as something that young people do when when finishing school and starting out in their career. But if we look at the workforce, it's really people that are in their 30s and 40s that are very established in one setting that are pivoting to their second or third career. And those are the ones that need the most help, I think. And those are the ones that usually feel that they can't ask because they're expected to know everything, right? Mm. I'm thinking in terms of the business model, I'm thinking about um, what's it called? Cameo, which is also kind of people of a certain stature selling increments of their time in, in that case it's they're selling some kind of usually it's like a birthday greeting from a yeah. celebrity or, or something is that something you use when you when you talk about it uh, yeah. trying to explain how this works yeah I think cameo is such a brilliant reference and I think that you know cameo as a marketplace has really unlocked a lot of creativity in terms of how you can interact with your audience and also mm. monetize your audience you know, you just mentioned birthday greetings. I think that, you know, what Cameo did really well is that they digitized uh, the birthday card or the birthday <laughs> greeting. Like that that classic idea of sending someone a card uh, when celebrating something, but, but doing that, you know, through a celebrity shout out, I think was a brilliant, brilliant play. And you know they they've grown substantially. They're they're officially a unicorn company now. They have, and there are like local versions. I yeah, think there's one in Swedish. Yeah, there's so there's so many, and they're all thriving, right? right? And the the reason they're thriving is not only because you know celebrities need uh, to interact with fans in new ways during the pandemic, but also I think because going back to that idea of access versus attention, mm. and and getting a personalized unique experience in a time when everything is available to everyone all the time, right? And I think we're seeing the cameofication of everything and everyone. Like cameo is great if you're some sort of celebrity, but it's kind of difficult if you're, you know, just an industry leader or business leader or a tech leader or or just someone that's really knowledgeable and experienced in in something. And, you know, being video first, I think Cameo inherently plays into one type of celebrities. So I'm sure, you know, you can you can say like this is a Cameo meets Masterclass kind of thing if you if you want to do like an elevator pitch. Uh, I'm really excited about the fact that we have 50 million creators uh, worldwide uh, that have built audiences around very niche topics. How is that defined? How do you? How do you? Oh get well, that number? it's research coming out. Uh, I think of Signalfire VC um, that just put that number in there as as a reference point. Looking at content creation online. All right. uh, obviously, there's billions of people consuming online content, and there's a very small, small percentage of that actually creating the content. Mm. But if you look at content creators, there are 50 million creators that have built audiences. And a minuscule number of those 50 million are actually monetizing this enough to make a living from it. Right. We call them, you know, influencers or or some form of, you know, online creators that that have millions and millions of subscribers. But the fact is that, you know, most of these 50 million creators are really uh, creators that have a small audience of a couple of thousand people. Mm. But they are so important for those thousand people because they are the point of reference and knowledge and insight around a specific topic, regardless if it's gardening or acoustic guitars or whatever. And I think what we'll see, you know, in the coming years is the rise of a creator middle class, if you like, where, you know, for now we've had, you know, the top 1% making all the money and the bottom 99% of creators not making any money, just pursuing their passions. But, Going forward, 
people will find ways of turning their audiences and their skills into an income. And it won't make them millionaires, but it will provide them with the resources they need to pursue their passions even more. And I think that for those 50 million creators, platforms like anyone serve a purpose mm. because they give you a chance to to interact with your audience, right? Well, well that's interesting because in, in that regard, you're also sort of surfing this wave of, of, you know, charging for content, whereas sort of, you know, the first influencer wave, you it, it was kind of like a native, old kind of native advertising mm. model. You know, you're an yeah. influencer, you hold up a product or mm. wear it or talk about it or whatever. Whereas... You know, you know. Obviously, we're seeing the the rise of subscription models uh, during the pandemic. Is this is this something you you care about as well? Yeah, I think one of our most exciting uh, use cases we're exploring on on anyone isn't really you know paying Conrad for one conversation and one call, but rather subscribing to mm. Conrad for unlimited amounts of five minute calls I, and and paying like him on a saying. monthly basis. You know, and having having you know almost an advisory board of sorts, mm. you know, available at your disposal in five-minute increments. Like so that. those kinds of subscriptions are really exciting. And also I think, you know, bundling advisors together in specific categories where, you know, talk to these eight different people and you'll come out knowing and understanding more about this topic. That's also something really exciting. But, you know, to your point on how we're seeing... Uh, the creator economy mature, I think that uh, usually having an advertising-driven business model creates the wrong incentives, regardless if you're a social media or, or, or a marketplace or anything. And I think that it's it's really going in the right direction when, when people monetize you know, their own content, their skills, and their time uh, directly. And I think the willingness to pay is massive. Mm. We haven't seen anything yet. Like pe- people, you know, because you know, setting out, you know, when you when you start out building a marketplace that doesn't exist, people will inherently tell you why it's a terrible idea, and explain to you, you know, ten t- top ten reasons it's never going to work. Like regardless if you know you're you're Airbnb and you're setting out and saying, you know, we're going to build a market where. You can, instead of staying at a hotel, you can live in someone's house and you'll pay for them. And what happens directly is that, you know, half of everyone says that's a terrible idea because I would never stay at someone's home because it's uh, disgusting and I feel <laughs> unsafe. Yeah. And the second half would say, why would I pay for this? I can do this for free if yeah. I stay at a friend's or if I couch surf. Like there is no market for this. And here they are, you know, with a near 100 billion market cap 10 years later. And I think that, you know, the quality of any marketplace is that they unlock a completely new supply and monetize something that people could never imagine charging for. So let's look at, you know, anyone just as an example. Like the idea of paying for five minutes of someone's time at first I think seems completely absurd because obviously you should get five minutes of someone's time without having to pay for it. But if you flip that on its head, getting direct on-demand access to someone that's really difficult to get a hold of, that without having to go through an inbox or a calendar. Or an assistant. Or or an assistant. uh, And getting five minutes of their time when you need it, it's kind of valuable, right? It's kind of a big deal. So the question, you know, I think we'll ask ourselves is how did we not pay for this? Because it's kind of the scarcest resource mm. around, right? So you, uh, we talked about social media uh, just before and, and sort of how you know, the, the advertising uh, model is creating bad incentives. And I think, you know, obviously, you know, with everything that's been going on in the U.S. and the insurrection and uh, the, the, these hearings of, of the big tech uh, players, I'm sure you're following this uh, carefully, um, social mediums have kind of like a bad rep right now. So, And you are very clear now to define yourself as a marketplace. Is, you know, is there a reason for this? Why aren't you a social medium uh, and why are you a marketplace? And couldn't you be both? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Well, I mean, to your point, there's so much happening in social audio right now. You know, I, I can think of 30 
you know, social audio networks that are trying to build some mm. form of user base around different communities and, and serving different niches. And, uh, you know, it's an exciting space. I, I wish them all the best. I think it's very, very difficult to build a social network per se because uh, language, I think, is one of the key barriers. And I, I think it's 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 easy to understand why, you know, the successful social networks we've seen have emerged either in the US or in China because you'll have a large user base that speaks one language and that makes all interaction and broadcasting on the platform really, really easy um, when, uh, when scaling. So I think it's inherently you know, difficult to build social media out of Europe uh, because you'll have language barriers that prohibit your growth. If you look at marketplaces, I think marketplaces are you know, a wonderful, wonderful thing because they, they really force you to understand incentives and value and wh wh where people find value. And if you look at, you know, one-to-one -one marketplaces, there's just so many different marketplaces targeting creators, helping them to monetize their audiences, but they're all video first. And I just can't understand why. <laughs> why, why are we still in this paradigm where you automatically think that you have to hold up your phone and FaceTime with someone to find value? So, you know, back to your question, you know, someone will become, you know, the Fiverr or Upwork of voice and audio. Someone will build a platform around conversations on demand because I think there will be a market for that. And I, I just don't think that a social network is the right model to deliver conversations on demand because a social network is still connected to, you know, your existing relationships and your circles of circles. Whereas what we're trying to do is really open up closed networks and, um, you know, increase that kind of access. Because, you know, we all, we all know the value of calling a friend. We all know the value of a warm intro. But at the end of the day, that's a massive privilege. It's a massive privilege, you know, for me to be able to call you up out of the blue and say, Conrad, I really need, you know, your point of view on this thing I'm, I'm thinking about. Like, do you have, like, here's an idea I have. You want, want, you want to buy, can I bounce that idea off you? It's a massive privilege. And I think we need to realize that there are so many people with so many brilliant ideas and things they want to build and create that just don't have access to those networks. And that is what we're solving for, right? Mm -hmm. We're solving for a way to uh, connect with people without a warm intro. That is what we're targeting. So that's why I think a marketplace is the right way to go. Because a social network, at the end of the day, will be a place where, you know, you get a ton of cold DMs from people you don't know. And it just turns into LinkedIn. Like, it's mm -hmm. really awkward. Let's talk about you for a second. I mean, this this is uh, you know we, we've known each other kind of from afar. We you know we've we've met and so forth. But I knew you as the the communications guy. You've run agencies. You've been chairman of uh, the uh, Com, which is the, the the Swedish. I don't know what you say it in English. I'd it's say a, it's it's a Swedish Swedish Association of Communications Agencies. Yeah, so yeah, it's an industry association with three hundred agencies. Yeah, yeah. So representing you were there for Swedish about creativity. Four or five years, and now yeah. you're. Running yeah. the startup, yeah. Uh, so, what's it? What's this been like for you, making this this kind of pivot in in your life? And, and yeah. was this something you've been dreaming about, or or why do you, have you left the communication space completely, or do you don't do you don't see it that way? I think that you know we're witnessing a massive shift in how creative talent operates, and I think that you know you're doing a great job in, uh, you know. Uh, you're doing a great job in in uh, following that and uh, you know creating content around how creative talent operates today. You know, I would argue that you know 10 or 15 years ago creative talent wanted to be, you know, in a specific creative context which was often some form of agency setting or some sort of, you know, creative sector mm -hmm. setting. And that is where that creative talent thrived because creative talent simply wasn't appreciated outside of that context. And, you know, the agency landscape and the creative sector in general did a great job in 
building institutions around that, regardless if it was awards or, you know, corporate culture or whatever, that locked talent in. And the only way to get a hold of creative talent was to, you know, go to an agency or, or, or go to, you know, some form of media company. But what we've seen, you know, in the last 10 to 15 years is how the the status of creative talent and the attractiveness of creative talent has increased exponentially in general. So I would argue that there's just so many more career opportunities for creators and creatives today than 10 to 15 years ago. And I mean, you can see that in, you know, the freelance market, just just to point out one obvious thing, like 10 years ago, if you were freelance, usually it meant that you weren't good enough to, you know, land an agency job. Mm. Today, if you're freelance, it's because you're kind of too good to, to stay at an agency, right? So, And that that's a massive issue, I'd argue, you know, for, for the entire creative sector that, that people are going independent and it's really difficult to organize work when everyone's working independently. But I digress. I think that, you know, one of the most exciting things we're seeing now is creators and creatives not working for brands, but building their own brands. And I'm not saying building their personal brands around themselves, but rather building businesses and franchises and consumer-facing brands, solving problems that you know, they're, they're seeing around them, regardless, you know, if it's, if it's a perfume brand or an equestrian brand or, or some other, you know, platform, we're seeing creatives and creators start new businesses at an unprecedented scale. And I think, you know, there's, there's logic to this because when you're setting out to build something consumer-facing today, you know that your biggest investment and cost is going to be marketing, Right. Mm. Your your cost of customer acquisition, you know, your CAC is gonna gonna be sky high because the whole digital marketing landscape is organized around buying reach and social media and everyone's buying reach to the same demographics, which pushes, you know, the cost up. So if you're, you know, a regular company setting out, you know, to to build an audience or a customer base, you just end up spending more and more money in marketing. Whereas if you have, you know, a creative background and a brand background, you understand how to build a very, very strong brand around the community, which creates organic reach and growth, which keeps, you know, your CAC and and marketing budget quite low. So I think there's, you know, massive business merit in having a creative or growth or marketing background as a founder. And that's why I think we're seeing this transition of people from comms and marketing and branding and design into an entrepreneurial space. And I think, you know, looking at, you know, an investor mindset, just five years ago, you would still expect, you know, an MBA and an engineer as a founding team. Mm. And and marketing and brand and comms and creative, that was, you know, it was nice to have. It wasn't neat to have. It was a good first or second hire. Today, uh, you're very interested in seeing, you know, people with that background starting companies because you know that they'll pull something off, right? Um, and is, so, is that why you felt confident doing this? You didn't ask my question. Uh, no, I, I think I am answering. I'm answering your question uh, in in a, in a way you know which puts me you know uh, in a larger group of people. Right. I think there's there's tons of us that have a comms and marketing background that have spent years and years building brands and companies uh, that you know, are, are, have reached a point in our careers where we want a bigger challenge. Mm. We want to push things forward and we want to see how it feels to do this for ourselves rather than for others. And, you know, going back to influencers and creators, I think it's the exact same thing, you know, started out as, as an advertising model where you had an audience and a, a personal brand and you leveraged that by doing partnerships and and advertising for for other products now 
you're launching your own, right? If if you're an influencer or a creator with an audience on the platform, you'll just launch your own brand or an own own product, and you you will leverage your your position and your creativity and your audience to build that business instead. And I think that you know that transition of of you know power. I'd argue, like how how do you how do you how do you how you take your cultural power and your cultural influence and build. Uh, either a financial or a political influence of that is something we're seeing a lot of influencers doing. And I think, you know, going back to the creative industries and, and my professional background, uh, that's why you're seeing a lot of creatives turning into founders. Because um, I think that what a business and a brand needs today is an organizing thought, is a strong narrative uh, that kind of aligns you know, all stakeholders around that. Mm. You just, like like the time of, of, you know, different communication to different groups where, you know, you talk to investors in one way, journalists with another, employees with a third, users in a fourth way, that's all long gone. Like what you need is strong leadership skills in terms of communications and articulate a vision for what you're building and why. And I think that if you have a comms and marketing background, you're inherently better off than if you have a business background, uh, per se, to tell that story in an engaging way. And you know, I'm I'm inspired by tons and tons of creative talent that have come before me uh, to uh, to build businesses and brands. Right. I think the the guys at Airbnb, right? They're I think they are communicators. Are yeah, they they're designers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. They have a design background. Yeah, but there's another part of your background I find interesting in this, and perhaps it relates to what you're doing because you've worked. Oh, you've also worked in the political space. You, I know, as an agency. I think we we did an interview uh, many years back where you had done some work marketing uh, Sweden, marketing mm. the region. Mm. There's this kind of uh, macro communicating that you've been doing. Uh, as as a creative, no, you know, I think as a creative, sometimes you, you're focusing on the the, the micro or the, mm. the tip of the spear. But you've been doing these sort of big challenges where trying to you know shift many people's minds, if you will. Are you bringing some of that into anyone? Do you think is is there a, a sense of scale that you you're you're bringing with you? Yeah, I mean, looking looking back. You know, it's always easy to connect the dots afterwards, right? But I think that, you know, if I look at the things I'm most proud of in 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 my career, it's definitely, you know, the same project over and over again, which is about opening up closed networks, increasing access to opportunity, uh, getting people, you know, without a platform to get a platform. So, you know, just... just Picking a few things, obviously, I had the privilege to to work with Sweden mm. in in a public diplomacy and nation branding setting, and worked with the digital strategy for how Sweden communicates for for a lot of years. And this is you know ten plus years back, and Twitter was new, and and we had the idea of you know what if what if Sweden's official Twitter account was run by just an ordinary Swede oh, on yeah, a weekly basis, right? right? That's what it so was. so so it was basically you know the concept of of, of rotating. Uh, accounts yeah. that that we pioneered, and and the idea that you know we would have people curating uh, the brand and the country of Sweden on a weekly basis to give you know a multitude of stories, right? Uh, because that was that was something different than from you know how most other brands and countries communicated, and that that was that was such a such a wonderful experience and experiment to follow, and I think it it ran for for seven years or something, and. You know, looking at that and then looking at, you know, a platform like uh, Järva Veckan, Järva Week, which I've also been privileged to, to work on with, with my friend Ahmed Abdirahman, uh, which is about, you know, increasing voter turnout in uh, the place in Sweden with the lowest voter turnout mm-hmm. and incre- strengthening, you know, our participation in democracy by building a platform where a lot of different stakeholders that never meet finally are able to meet and interact. So again, building a platform where people can connect in new ways. Um, I think that, you know, that's the red thread of of what I've been doing and building for, for the last 15 years. And I think, you know, anyone 
and just you know needless to point out anyone is a team of, of seven plus people each with their own motivations and and doing amazing stuff my motivation has really been to to continue that same work which is to again open up closed networks increase access to opportunity and make sure that more get further faster but looking at the anyone team in particular i think all of us come from backgrounds where we did not have a lot of open doors i would argue mm-hmm. like we all had a ton of privilege uh in in various ways but one thing that i think we have in common in the team is that we did not grow up feeling that <laughs> we had tons of opportunity and people at our fingertips that we could call up like we at when we were 12 years old we did not call up you know bill hewlett that hewlett packard asking for stuff like that is not our backgrounds and i think that we all look back and feel that you know we wish that we had had uh more opportunities to connect with people along the way than we had so that i would say is a key key driver and motivator but yeah no it's again i think it's 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 a, it's a much bigger shift we're seeing of creative talent and i think again you're doing a great job of covering that because most people that you talk to that are doing really awesome stuff have a creative background in one way or mm. another right mm. that's interesting uh we're going to wrap it up but i'm i'm curious so where are you right now in your journey as a as a startup uh and what are you you know what do you hope as your your next steps you're not open to the public you have yeah. to sort of request access i just uh, got my credentials thank you very much <laughs> uh so so uh, so what's your next steps yeah i mean we're we're in both app stores so you know anyone interested can just download the anyone app and uh, and sign up on the wait list um it's invite only because we're trying to keep it a tight knit community and a safe space so we're we're you know more than happy to onboard people uh i think it's important when you welcome people to a new space with a new behavior to you know give them a chance to understand and master the format otherwise i think it's unfair um uh, so i mean we have a tight community uh that's very active and uh, a lot of really cool use cases coming out and a lot of creative ways to hack the platform as i said we have we're privileged to have a very large waitlist uh which i think you know is connected to the fact that the product uh has a very clear narrative and value proposition and people are intrigued by it mm. um So we are onboarding people, you know, as as soon as we can in a way that's sustainable and manageable. I think it's important, you know, when you come on the platform that you have a 5-minute call within the first day of the platform and that you don't just, you know, forget about it. Um so we have, you know, a lot of plans to to scale going forward and hopefully, you know, we uh, we will be able to manage you know user expectations but yes for now it, it is invite only but you know uh, what we do when you sign up to the waitlist is that we ask you kindly you know what advice are you looking for right now and what advice are you comfortable giving others and if you tell us that then we will you know skip you off the waitlist and onboard you uh, straight away Okay, so exciting stuff. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to follow the the journey of of anyone this this uh uh getting some hype both here in Nordics and internationally. David Orlik, uh, congratulations to your startup and thank you for speaking to me. Thanks so much for having me, Konrad. You've been listening to the Scandinavian Mind podcast with me, Konrad Olsson. This show was edited by Erik Sedin. If you liked what you heard, follow us on your preferred podcast app like Spotify or Apple Podcasts. To get the latest news, insights and invites to upcoming events, sign up to our newsletter. Just go to scandinavianmind.com to become part of our movement.